following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Today we are back into Judges, um, chapter lucky number 13. And the chapter starts off the way most of the chapters in Judges start or finish. Uh, and that's with the people of God doing evil in God's eyes. So not too much has changed, probably, um, from when we looked at it a few weeks ago. But luckily, the story has got something to show us um, in regards to God's faithfulness, which is great. So uh, I thought we'd read the story today with some pictorial aids, um, just because the kids have left. doesn't mean we can't still have a bit of fun. This is taken from the Brick Testament. So if you can't see it, then... um, Go home and have a look on bricktestament.com and uh, you could have a read of it there. They've got some really fun revelation slides um, that Ruben and I looked at this week, which we should have used for the series, but fun all the same. Somebody with a lot of spare time, probably a lot of creative energy, put that together. So from the NIV, um, Judges chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is them eating shellfish. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because this boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. So God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when the word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. 
Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. Not sure why he looks like that, but we'll find out next week. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Menina Dan between Zora and Eshtoel. So the story of Samson, um, it spans four chapters in Judges. So today we're just hearing about uh, chapter 13, the circumstances of his birth. And he's not actually born until right at the very end. Um, so we won't really be spending too much time talking about him. Um, Reuben can do that next week. But what does come through in this story, rather, is the faithfulness of God. And if we can learn anything from the book of Judges, um, the whole book, it's that these characters weren't necessarily people we want to emulate or model our lives off. Um, most of the time, they were a little bit flawed, uh, like us. And I think if we turn them into heroes of the faith, then we're doing these sort of stories a bit of a disservice. So instead, what we hear over and over and over again is about the character of God and about how faithful he is to his people. And in this story, we hear about his faithfulness again to three different um, characters. So first of all, to the wife. Firstly, God shows his faithfulness to Manoah's wife, even though she's not really a likely candidate. So Samson's mother remains nameless throughout this story, and when we come across her um, later on, she still doesn't have a name. Um, I'm sure she did, but we don't know it. So not only is she nameless, whatever reason, the biblical authors didn't think it was important to note her name, but she's also described as barren, um, which is a horrible word, isn't it? So infertility, which I guess is what we would uh, more commonly call it these days, is a pretty horrific thing to deal with um, in our culture. Friends of mine who are struggling to get pregnant and about to start IVF have watched countless friends of theirs um, get pregnant in their four years of um, struggling with this, and it's been really heartbreaking for them to watch. And of course, it's upsetting for the couple, but also friends, family, um, everyone around who's involved. And in different ways, this huge sadness of not being able to conceive would have been felt in the ancient times as well. Because then, barrenness was seen as a punishment for an offense against the fertility gods. So if you couldn't have children, it meant that apparently you had done something wrong and everyone else would have known about it because they would have seen you without kids. So you can imagine that you're struggling personally not being able to have children, you've got friends and family around you that are having kids, um, but also other people are judging you and you're possibly losing friends and um, respect because no one really wants to surround themselves with the bad luck omens. And so it was a pretty horrible situation to be in. 
Manoa's wife um, probably wasn't that popular. She might not have been very well respected um, in her community. She had a husband, but that was about it. But it's this nameless and also barren woman that God chooses to use as his next uh, agent of deliverance for his people, which is really cool. Now, we can think of other biblical characters that were given names, um, but were also barren. We think of Sarah and Hannah, maybe even Elizabeth, and that's just barren women. I mean, there are plenty of other characters throughout the scripture that um, God uses, unlikely types, um, lazy, grumpy, old, short men, uh, those sorts of people, and there's plenty of them used in God's story as well, which is really exciting. And I really love this um, about God because I think it gives hope for you know, many of you and myself um, that God uses these unlikely people um, in his story. And I'm sure it's intentional because it seems in the story that the wife had a little bit more spiritual insight maybe than her husband. And so maybe that's why God continued to um, show the angel to her but also because maybe he wanted to show us that these um, seemingly insignificant people are significant to him. So God wasn't um, bound to the patriarchal society of the time that would have dictated that the man was the most important person in the relationship, um, but instead the angel appeared to the woman uh, and gave her value in that way. So she might have seemed like a pretty minor character in her village and to everyone else, but to God, she was really something, and she was important, and that's awesome. Uh, and she responds pretty well to this news, considering she'd been barren for you know, most of her life, and we'll look into her husband's reaction in a moment, but she seems to stay fairly calm, collected. Um, she, her husband needs to hear the news three times, which we which we see, but she takes it on and she prepares herself for this big change in her life. But I wonder how she'd felt before that. We don't hear a lot about the struggle that they might have felt um, emotionally, but I'm sure she had cried out to God or maybe one of the gods um, that was in their culture asking why she wasn't blessed with a child. Maybe asking what she had done wrong because that's what everyone had told her asking why she wasn't going to get what she so desperately desired and wanted. And we don't know a lot about this struggle, but I'm sure it would have been present, because we know for ourselves times when God does or doesn't respond, um, we know how we cope. How would we cope with a life of barrenness or something else, maybe sickness or unemployment or family feuds or singleness or any other difficult um, really heartbreaking life situation. How do we cope? You know, how do we cope when we think God should respond one way and he doesn't, or he responds a different way, or he just seems really silent uh, and vague? What do we think that God owes us? You know, I'm sure Manoah and his wife thought that God owed them a child, that they deserved one, because children uh, in that culture like ours um, you know, we're an investment into the future, so a family without one didn't really have much of a legacy to leave behind, so I'm sure they thought that they deserved a child, they'd done all the right things, and they should get one. What do we think that we deserve? You know, we say and we know that God is faithful, but what does that actually mean? What does God's faithfulness look like? 
Sometimes I think there's a sense that even though we know being a Christian isn't going to be easy, we still get surprised when the challenges continue to hit us because we kind of expect that we might be exempt from them. We feel that we should live a comfortable life with a nice house in a good part of town or flash possessions, the latest toys, um, a little handbag dog, you know, a cushy, a cushy retirement, all those things. And we try to run from pain and, you know, push away vulnerability and awkwardness and those sorts of things. We don't want anything to do with them. But yet, what have we been promised? You know, when we look at um, our favorite psalm that everybody loves to quote, um, Psalm 23, it says that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What it doesn't say is that we won't be walking through the valley. And in the same way, Isaiah 43 uh, says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So God is not in the business of building bridges for us, you know, to get over the valley, over the river, through the fire. Instead, what he does promise is to be with us through those barriers, not to remove them. And I think we know that most of the time, but sometimes perhaps we forget. Uh, this year, interestingly, um, I've been asked twice to speak um, at different events about being single or about being single in ministry which I didn't realize I'm like a pro at, apparently. <laughs> That's why I've been asked. It's weird to be known for something like that. But anyway, um, what can you do? Now that I've done it twice, I'm like internationally recognized. Um, so what I've realized is that um, I didn't choose to be a pro either. You know, it's, it's a weird thing that you get yourself into. But um, what I've realized is that there's a bit of a feeling out there um, in the church world maybe that um, if you want something, and if you call it a desire of your heart, because we all know that verse about how God gives you the desires of your heart. So if you want something and it's a desire, then God will totally give it to you, you know? Um, so if I want a boyfriend, that means I'm gonna get one. Um, maybe you want something, you're gonna get that as well, which we know is not the case. So I'm not entitled to get what I want. And this isn't a biblical command for me or you, uh, unfortunately. Just because we know that people should survive on more than $2.25 a day worth of food um, doesn't mean that they'll wake up tomorrow and have a buffet. Um, we live in a much more complicated world than that. And it's really tricky though because sometimes God does intervene in amazing ways. And he provides, like in this story, for a barren couple. And of course he can intervene, of course he can heal, he can provide but we know that he doesn't always. So what do we do with that? We hold in tension the fact that we live in a really broken, hard world with the fact that Samson's birth is another instance of God responding extraordinarily, or extraordinarily um, in an exceptionally difficult situation. So what do we do with these two different things? I'm not gonna give you the answer, sorry, um, but I guess what we can hold on to as something that's certain is God's promised presence. So of course we continue to ask and petition 
and go to him for healing and for provision and for what we want and what we desire. Of course we do those things, but we also hold on to the fact that he is there and he will hear us if we go to him. And that sometimes the way things work out won't be the way that we expect, but they will be for our good. But also that whatever we are doesn't define us. And so I'm not defined, my identity is not in my singleness, and your identity is not uh, in your infertility, maybe, or in your unemployed state, or in your sickness, or even in your role as parent, or boss, or husband, or wife, or student, or whatever you are. That's not your identity, that's not who you are. Your identity is as a child of God, first and foremost, like John was saying uh, this morning. And the first time that the angel comes and speaks to um, Manoah's wife, he says, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant. You are barren, but you are going to become something else. There is more for you than what you have right now. I have more for you. You are not what everyone else says that you are. We have a God that transforms lives and that cares for us and that sees us right where we are and he sees us as his. We have a God who is with us, who came down to live with us and then sent his spirit to be our counselor and our guide. We don't have to go to a temple or a shrine to find God. We have his spirit within us. God is faithful to us because he said he would always be with us. And that's what we hold on to. Now next, God shows his faithfulness to Manoah, uh, the husband who gets a name, lucky him, uh, even though he's not the most receptive to this message of Samson's birth either. But the fact that he actually chose to stay with his wife despite her barrenness um, is quite a big statement because sources, um, in the ancient times, couples didn't marry for love. Um, sources believed um, and this might shatter your romantic uh, illusions, that um, marriage that started with love didn't actually begin until about the 1700s. And so before that, marriage would have been arranged or um, forced for economic benefits for both of the families involved um, so that children could be born and sort of family businesses could continue, those kinds of things. So I'm sure Manoa first didn't uh, choose his wife because he loved her, you know, saw her across the room at a youth group event or whatever, caught her eye. Um, love, I'm sure, could have grown, but it wouldn't necessarily have been what uh, bound and connected them together to begin with, uh, like today. But yet he still stayed to, uh, chose to stay with her despite that she couldn't bear him any children and couldn't continue um, his legacy. So perhaps love had grown. I mean, we don't know. We can only hope, we don't know from the story, but we can hope that Manoah supported his wife and probably grieved with her every month when they didn't get pregnant. Um, so when his wife um, told him that an angel had visited, of course, he was rightly confused and shocked and he wanted to know more, he wanted to know the exact details. So maybe that's why he had to hear the message himself um, to fully believe what was being told. So he could come across, you know, a little bit dim-witted, um, some of the books say a little bit restless, but... Um, Maybe he was just scared of this angel um, visitation. This was going to be a big deal in his life. And of course, you want to you know, uh, know the details for yourself. But some writers also say that um, this repetition about the Nazarite laws and you know, not drinking, not eating anything unclean, um, they would have mentioned, been mentioned because the hearers of the story 
would only have been hearing the story, not reading it like we can. And so it was an important thing to be remembered. And so it was repeated several times. But maybe even aside from that, maybe Manoah just needed to hear it a few times before it really struck home, you know? Like a conversation perhaps about how to stack the dishwasher or where to put the towels, you know? Um, I'm not married, luckily, and I don't have to deal with those sorts of conversations, but maybe they have to happen um, several times over, just to guess. Um, so perhaps that was what was going on here. But we read in verse 9 specifically that God heard Manoah. And I think this is important to, it's important enough clearly to mention in the story. And we read in Psalm 116 um, verse 2, this beautiful verse, because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. He hears. And so after he got the message, he really did want to honor um, the angel who had come with this news, even though he didn't really know who he was. Um, he says to him, what is your name so that we may honor you when the word comes true? So he's confident that this word will come true and he wants to be prepared um, to honor when it does. So he chooses to sacrifice an animal and invites the angel to stay, um, wants to thank him. He's got really good intentions. I'm sure all of us would have done the same thing um, if an angel visited us and told us our lives are about to change. But we hear in this story that God uses another unlikely character to show his faithfulness. Um, Manoah and his wife were a little bit older. They probably wouldn't, been, wouldn't have been your pick of parents, you know, if we were God creating the whole universe, um, figuring this all out. We might not have chosen them to do it, but something about them still makes God decide that they are worth being in the plan. And we see his faithfulness come to light again. And it makes me think about how Manoah and his wife, they stood by each other, even though in this picture he has kind of a weird eyebrow thing going on, but you know, they stood with each other. She didn't let that hold her, hold her back. Um, she stayed with him even through that. So it makes me think about how they stood together, supporting each other. And it made me wonder how we support those who are struggling. You know, he stood by his wife through the hard times, and she stood by him. So I wonder when things don't go our way in a relationship, do we continue to show up and stand there with that person? Or how do we support those people who are maybe outside of our immediate relationships within our church, our schools, our uni, our workplaces? Um, there's no one answer to this, but one of the things I love about Shaw um, is our meal ministry and how it's designed to provide a freezer full of meals to people that uh, might be struggling at any time. And we know that when life's really hard to come home to something that's already been cooked um, and is warm, hopefully, is just can make all the difference um, rather than having to cook something for yourself. And all it takes for the giver is maybe to that one night decide to double a recipe um, and then bring it in, or maybe to make the dinner and then treat the family to takeaways. I mean, who wouldn't love that? Just an idea. So a little plug um, for the great meal ministry, but I do think it's a practical way that we stand with and support one another um, as we hear in this story. And another thing is how often do we offer to pray for or pray with those people that are struggling? And bringing these needs before God, it can remind us and also the person struggling of God's um, presence, of who our hope is in, and um, on whose presence we can rely, I guess. And 
It takes our needs to the one who bends down to listen, and it also unites us together um, to each other. So it does require us to be a bit honest and vulnerable, which we don't always enjoy, but um, it's something that can really support each other and can take our, um, our petitions and our prayers to God who does listen. Um, it's also interesting to see who, uh, who we choose to honor when life gets hard. Um, we can choose to go to our friends or family, social media. Um, we see that most days of celebration or um, complaining. But how quickly do we choose to go to God first? As soon as um, Manoah heard this message from the angel, and once he figured out what it was saying for the third time, he asked who he was so that he could honor him when the word came true. So when, he so firmly believed that it was going to come true, that he wanted to be totally prepared for when it was going to happen and what he could do. And he wanted to thank God with a sacrifice. And although we don't have to sacrifice goats um, these days, I liked the goat being sacrificed and whatever that blood jelly stuff that was coming out of him. Um, even though we don't have to do that these days, it's good to think about how quickly we go to God to thank him for the sacrifice that he has made for us and also to honor him for whatever life throws our way. And one way that um, I might have talked about before, but a practical sort of spiritual discipline that I like to do when I um, remember is called examine. And it's at the end of the day when you uh, look back over the events of that day and you recall when you have been part of something that has brought life and you thank God for that. And then you think about when you have been part of something that has brought death and you repent to God for that. And it's a really good process to bring about our whole selves to God, you know, those things we'd rather avoid and rather not have him know about, but also to thank him for where he has been present um, and bringing life through you. So it's quite cool to just recognize him as the giver um, of life. So God is faithful to Manoah's wife and then also to Manoah. And finally and fully, God shows his faithfulness to his people, and that's through the birth of Samson. The had slightly evil teeth at the end there, I'm not really sure why, but um, Samson is another in a line of judges that have been sent to deliver God's people. But we hear about him right from his birth. And I talked to one of my friends about this passage, and he said that um, he described the gift of children as something that God entrusts to you for his kingdom. So you hold them in your hands for a time, but the purpose is always that those children go on and serve God and serve his people. And so when God chose to deliver his people through Samson, he did so by entrusting these parents with his care. He didn't just show up to Samson later in life um, when he was a grown-up and tell him the plan, uh, maybe because he knew he wouldn't get it, but um, the parents had this gift of raising him, um, raising him to bring about this redemption at least for a time. Um, so Samson's life may not have gone um, quite to plan or the way that his parents had in mind, perhaps, but we'll hear about more about that later on. But still the people of God were delivered at the end. They might not even have desired a deliverer, but God still sent one because he knows best and he has good things for his people. Uh, this term at youth group um, at the village, our weekly program, we've been doing a relationship series um, called hashtag good through a little 
hashtag in there because I try to remain um, cool. And it's something, I mean, if you're not, if you don't know what it is, I don't really know what it is either, but it's just, it's just a symbol and that goes on the internet. But um, so I've, it was a relationship series that we did. We talked about um, sex and relationships and how God has good things for us. And sometimes I think we can focus on all of the things that we can't do, you know, the, the moral um, lines that we're not allowed to cross, um, the behavior we should have no part in until we're married, then it's fine. Um, and sometimes I think that's not as helpful maybe as uh, focusing on the good things that God has for us in our relationship with him, but also with other people and letting that be the motivation to wait and seek for, um, go after the best that he has in store for us. So we tried to um, have that the focus this term, and in the same way God has good things for us, but also the people in Samson's time, if only they would return to him. And so he relentlessly pursued them, like he relentlessly pursues us, um, offering them good things, but they continued to follow the bad that they um, created for themselves. And of course we follow the same pattern, we continuously need uh, rescuing and reminded of God's grace to us through Jesus. So we become, through Jesus, the people of God. We become the people that are being relentlessly pursued. So perhaps Samson's parents were a bit disappointed by some of the choices he made later in his life, but God still used this flawed person um, to deliver his people. And I'm sure there are plenty of other biblical parents um, whose kids didn't quite go the way that they expected, um, but they could only trust that God was doing something um, behind the scenes. Even Mary and Joseph um, might not have had uh, full awareness of what was going to be happening to their son, what path he would be on. And there's this really um, poignant scene in the Passion of the Christ film when Mary is wiping away the blood um, in the courtyard after Jesus has been whipped and beaten and before he goes to the cross. And I'm sure at that moment she was thinking about the baby that was in her womb, and then the little toddler, you know, playing around her ankles, and then taking him off to the temple as a boy, um, and then now she's cleaning up his blood before he dies. And how much she must have hurt for what he was suffering, and how much she would have been confused over what was happening. And it wouldn't have been until much later afterwards that she would have realized the bigger plan, and often at the time, we don't know the significance of the people that we raise or care for or support or befriend. We don't know. We encounter Jesus as this ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate deliverer for God's people. But to Mary, she was his son first. And so we see through God's faithfulness that we become his people and that faithfulness is extended to us. Now, we may wonder why this little funny story is included um, in the judge's narrative. You know, we could have gone straight to Samson, um, ready to go into action. But sure, we find out about his birth, but that's really only at the end. It's in the last two verses. Um, we've got plenty of time to hear about his escapades um, soon. But our focus in this chapter, and hopefully throughout the whole of Judges, has been uh, God as faithful provider. You know, God who brings about this solution that is temporary until Jesus comes. Um, but we discover more and more through this story that Yahweh is a God of reversal, um, as one author puts it, because the woman's barren condition will be reversed 
just as Israel's barren condition will be reversed, just as our broken barren condition is reversed through Jesus. So I encourage us that God has plans for the nameless, the barren, um, but also the hurting, the liars, the adulterers, um, the broken, the widows, the depressed, the murderers, all of those people in God's plan. And God's faithfulness extends to all of us, and we get to have a part in his story. Samson had a beginning, he had faithful parents, and he had God's faithfulness over his life long before he had the ending um, that he ended up having. So we remember and we hold on to God's faithfulness. And we stand with one another. We speak to him. We cry out um, to God because he bends down to listen. So trust in the good that he is, but also the good he has for us. Um, let us as a church and as a community stand with you and pray with you. And if you would like prayer after the service, we'd love to pray with you or later in the week or maybe when you're in your life groups, um, you might like to ask those people around you to pray with you. So I'd just like to pray for us uh, this morning as we close um, and focus on the faithfulness of God. God, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of your son. And I pray that um, you would sift through these words that I've spoken this morning and um, let them Settle and let the promise of your faithfulness, your eternal faithfulness, settle on our hearts this day um, and always. And give us the strength and the courage and the grace to extend um, your faithfulness to those people around us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.